Impact Driven Entrepreneur, episode 153, how to create a quality in your coaching business with Berhenda Williams. This is such a good conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear it. We talk openly. Berhenda is a listener of ours to the show. She also talks a little bit about how the show has helped her. Um, and if you have been helped by the show, please take a second to go review because we can actually feature you um, on uh, an episode and shout out your business. And again, if you want to be on the show as well, we do are taking applications. So if you or anybody you know wants to be on the show, we are taking applications for speakers. Um, and you can find the link to that on our contact me page on impactdrivenentrepreneur.com. All right. Enjoy this episode. You're here to make a difference. It's our job to help you do that. Welcome to the Impact Driven Entrepreneur podcast the podcast that helps you to build a thriving coaching company by becoming a thriving, impactful CEO. We do that through the impact formula methodology. And what this means is that you're going to be selling out your offers, scaling beyond one-on-one into group programs, and leveraging a team so that you can exponentially increase your income and slash your work week. It's time to experience the true income, impact, and freedom you deserve. Welcome back to the Impact Driven Entrepreneur. Today we have uh, Berhenda Williams. I'm so honored to have her on the show. Um, We were connected through our mutual friend, Tim Gay, who is going to be coming on the show as well. And she's actually a listener of ours. We shouted her out a few episodes ago. And so uh, she is a visionary empath coach. And we're here to really open up the conversation more about racism in in America and what is happening, especially we want to talk about the coaching industry because we feel that there's been um, some underrepresentation, I think, of of all really races, but especially, um, and I, I feel it and I can sense it when I'm coaching Uh, black women is like, it's so heartbreaking because the idea, the limiting belief, and I don't even know if it's a limiting belief or it's also on top of the limiting belief and idea is also the racism that's just happening, right? The idea that you can't just be average, you can't just be good, you have to be exceptional, you have to be extra talented, extra educated, extra certified, to be credible and you have to work extra hard to win the trust, especially when you're going into cold audiences and all of that. Um, And I'm not here to say it's a limiting belief or it's, and it's racism, but it's really happening. Okay. And that's why I think we need to have a conversation about how we can move the coaching industry into an industry that is aligned with the values we say we want right? Like as an industry, we say we want, you know, equality. So let's create that, right? So what, what are your thoughts? Um, have you seen this? Cause I know you coach a lot of people of color. Um, what have you seen in your practice? So most of the women that come to me are very high achieving women, mostly women of color. They will have advanced degrees, but it, yes, it does point back to this notion still, uh, 
And I don't even know. See, that's the thing. Racism is not a limiting belief. It's an actual it's construct. An actual, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> when I hear some of these coaches talk about mindset work, you have to also look at cultural competency. Mm-hmm. And you have to also understand the dynamics of the woman that's in front of you. And, and many, because um, I mean, even when I was looking for a coach, there would be some things in the discovery call that were just completely tone deaf. Mm. So if you're not taking into consideration, um, like I said, many of the women that I coach are sometimes even first generation. There are some cultural things that it's not a limiting belief. You have to respect a person's cultural background. Mm-hmm. And yes, there may be some destructive things within a particular culture that they want to shatter, but still there needs to be a certain level of empathy from said coach yep. to not whitewash this into um, one, many cultures, particularly African-American, there are what, 10 million black, black people in this, in this country. Um, and so that means that there's a several different ways to be black. So we're not a monolith. Yeah, so I just want exactly. to clear that. Up. <laughs> it's not yeah, one bucket. There's not one, right. Okay. <laughs> But we are also very um, communal because we had to. And so this is really important for coaches who want to step up better, do your homework and your homework includes doing some historical referencing of black people. So when I say historical referencing, you can look at Tulsa, Oklahoma and the Tulsa massacre. What happened there in 1921, there was a massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a very prominent uh, African-American community, um, Redwood. Uh, Harlem in New York is going through its gentrification. So throughout history and in being in, in America, you know, we hear things like, well, pull yourself up uh, by your bootstraps. Many, we didn't even have boots. So there was no strap yeah. to pull. Yeah. Okay? So to create these Black utopias in the face of racism, in the face, and so 1921, we're still seeing, witnessing public lynchings. That, that's a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. What we saw with George Floyd was a lynching. So we need to call it what it, what it is. So I think that it would be who um, coaches and non-Black coaches alike, because the, again, the history, American history is just not uh, inclusive of the totality of the Black experience. So I just want to, you know, walk your listeners through for just, just, just a moment. Just imagine being ripped from your home by people who don't look like you, um, you can't understand their language, and their customs are completely different for you, and then placed into a foreign land, and then told to work. In the South, it was um, agriculture. In the North, it was textile. So understanding that generation, each generation within the, the, the Black community wanted to be better than the next, but there were a lot of sacrifices. So like my grandfather had to be um, basically run out of Alabama because a white man called him a boy. Now that may mm-hmm. not sound like a big deal, but circa 1930, to even speak back and to stand your ground in such a way, he had to go live with his sister before the sunset. They moved him to, to New York because they knew that the KKK would come, they would, they, they knew this wasn't a thought or maybe a feeling or a mindset. Right, no. it wasn't like a limiting belief. <laughs> no, it was not like, like, this is the truth. Junior, we've got to get you out of here before the sun sets because of your retort. So then that speaks to, you know, also the triumph of like the human spirit, because even though the construct has told you that I'm less than a person, I'm less than human, I have enough constitution within myself to know that, yes, I am, I'm a man mm-hmm. and I'm not a boy. Mm. So I just want to provide just a little bit of like historical context for, for your listeners 
um, around race. And so how it is the, 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 the physical chains, yes, may have been abolished and we're out of said Jim Crow or even the grandfather clause, which denied people of color, black people to vote. The grandfather clause said, if your grandfather was a slave, then you can't vote. So it was like another loophole right. in the system so that um, black people couldn't vote. And even in the women's suffrage march, black women were told to march behind white women. So how are we talking about equality and sisterhood? And I know that many of your listeners are women. We have to also look at when we stand up, who are we bringing up mm-hmm. with us? Because while the shackles may be different, it's still going back to that big, huge cancer, which is systemic racism. And there's all these little like talons and, and, and like um, roots that come out of it that affect all of us. So it is very important that we pay attention to Black Lives Matters and say that Black Lives Matter because a lot of other lives and a lot of other uh, injustices are all tied to to this one particular movement. Yeah. Yeah. And before we started, there was a couple things um, that we talked about. And that was, one of them was, you know, like, what about all lives? So let, can we talk about this for a second? Um, I think I'll, I'll try to find the graphic and put it below, but there's basically this little comment going around. I don't know if you've seen it, but it basically says like, you know, Black Lives Matter or it, it's the same as if someone's house is burning down and you're saying, but like, don't all houses matter? Of course, all, all houses matter, but this one is on fire, <laughs> right? So yeah. we need to go save that person. And then by the end of the comic, it was like, because they were arguing about this, the person died in the, in the fire. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about that? Like, you know, especially because... I mean, I'm a minority. I would guess that some people in this audience are probably also relating to my story of, you know, I came here with one suitcase to the U.S., right? So I've told that story before and how I was an immigrant and always kind of in the, in the fringes of society. So what, um, can we talk about that? Just you, you, you do your thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, of course that, that story, um, you know, the immigrant story of coming, you know, to the United States with one suitcase or coming to the United States with nothing, nothing mm-hmm. at all. I've grown, I grew up in a community where um, I had uh, classmates who are Chaldean. So they're leaving, um, you know, persecution. Mm-hmm. And so leaving with nothing and having to really cross, you know, especially when you're coming from the Middle East to like around Hungary so you can get into Europe. Like, I mean, that's a very perilous trek. Um, that, they, that they decided to take. And so I think it's important to, yes, acknowledge, um, you know, any person that chooses maybe certain death to come to the United States because it's better than the conditions that they're living in and they're willing, they're willing to die for. So I definitely want to center that. However, again, when we go back to the African-American experience, and I think that's the, the pain point or the blind spot is, well, yeah. this minority group did it. Why can't they? Well, that migrant. Because it was not your choice, right? It was not our choice. And that's what has to be centered. It was not our choice. And assimilation cannot happen when it is not your choice. We're trying to maintain. So for many African-Americans, I feel fortunate, you know, the, with the coming of uh, 23andMe and some of the other ancestral pieces, we were able to fill in some of the blanks. But for many 
African-Americans, your heritage can only go back to the South. It gets Mm -hmm. very dicey. And it's really emotional when you find slave records and you're being Mm -hmm. accounted for like your cattle. Mm -hmm. Like you don't even have a name. Yeah. You're, you're chronicled like, I mean, you're not human. You're chronicled like an, like an animal. It's even subhuman because we have some people that treat their, their animals. Their dogs have better their dogs. Yeah, right they, yeah. so, <laughs> they got toys for their dog. <laughs> yeah. So within, you know, the, the confines and, and I, and I really am speaking also to, you know, especially to our Latino brothers and sisters, you all understand this. What is it? Tu abuela en el mario? Your mm-hmm. grandmother in the closet. You understand about colorism, about mm-hmm. hair texture, yeah, and how that begins to play out the assumptions that we make. So we want to move as far away from our identity as we can so that we can assimilate. But that assimilation does not only you a disservice, it does others a service because we don't get to experience all of you if you're hiding, yeah. if yeah. you're changing your name to sound more American. I have a full name. I have a heavy name. My name is Berhender. So 20 guests is what she is you know but at the same time i just think it's really important to really unpack um identity and i think once people really can sit in their discomfort and you know look at um read literature um i'm I'm gonna have them do their work so you can go out there's plenty of information circulating and people if you're on any newsletter many coaches have put together um some information but just Google Black history. And like I said, even if you start with Tulsa, Mm -hmm. to see that massacre, it will rock you. And so now compound that with generation after generation of denial of, um, you know, COVID. You know, we're in the middle of a a pandemic. We've, of course, been in a pandemic with race, but we're also in a global wide health pandemic. African-Americans are suffering the worst because of pre-existing conditions in the community. And since you, you know, work with Black women, particularly the higher, the education of the Black women is called weathering. You can check it out. Um, I believe the New Yorker did a, uh, an article, article on it, but weathering says that when the more education that a Black woman receives, her life expectancy shortens. Why is that? Because when she's in the corporate spaces, when she's in the spaces that where people don't look like her, um, it can create a uh, cortisol rise because she's being challenged just by who she is. I have, you know, African-American um, clients that say to me things like, you know, it took me a long time to wear my natural hair. And that might sound like a superfluous thing, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. Because, <laughs> it's because I want to fit into this, this space as much as I can. Code switching is another thing. I want to make sure that my diction. So if you have taken off everything that makes you you to go out to the world and then, you know, have basically your ass handed to you on a regular basis it does begin to chip away at your self-esteem and because the african-american experience has been what it is there is a lot of solidarity you know you hear words like homeboy homegirl these really come from love because i have to see after you because i don't want you to get lynched Mm -hmm. i i i I don't want fire hoses turned on you and these are things that we're not even going back a hundred years in american history yeah yeah i will say one i used to work i was a nurse first right before I went into hospital administration and um, I did night shift, you know, so like all night. And I had um, a coworker of mine uh, was black. I mean, he was a coworker of mine. He's still alive, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would just love it because he would tell me all of these stories of what it was like growing up 
And I kid you not, at the time he was probably like 50, um, mm -hmm. which is maybe like at this point, maybe like 10 years ago. And he was telling me about segregation, about growing up literally like black water fountain, white water fountain. Yeah. And I mean, I would just, I would just, it, my heart just went out to him. And also at the same time, like seeing how hard he worked to get to where he was to sit next to me at that bedside of the hospital where we were working our ass off all night. You know what I mean? Like it was a privilege when we got to sit down and hear his stories. Right. And like, that was such a pivotal moment in my own understanding of things of like, holy shit, there's people alive right now working right next to me mm -hmm. who experienced this before, you know, like, and so I think like, we cannot be so naive to think this is not a problem, that this is not something that we need to address, that this is not something that is so real. Uh, and it's, it's just so heartbreaking, you know, yeah. I, I don't have more words. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it is heartbreaking. And so, yes, when we look at the coaching industry, you know, even something, as, uh, we'll take summits, for example, when we see the panel of experts, it is a slap in the face and it is very insulting that you're looking for the people of color where it doesn't just come out at you. You see an even distribution of, of diverse voices. It is very insulting to, you know, continue to have these platforms and use them in this way. And, you know, consistently uh, we see throughout the coaching industry you know, the secret to six figures or the secret to seven figures, but how about the secret to human decency? How mm -hmm. about that part? How about the secret to equity? What are you doing? I'm not saying because please don't do the, the photo op like, hey, look at me, I sponsored or the, the giving of the scholarships. Mm -hmm. That's also mm -hmm. damaging too, because when you do the scholarships, that means you're still training someone in your pedagogy and your culture of your, of your company. And if you haven't done the justice, like I, I got an email today from a company apologizing for their silence, but they said they didn't know what to do because everyone in our leadership is white. You need to see that as a problem. Right. If everyone on your leadership team, so that means the people that are influencing you are people that look like you, which means that there's clearly a, a messaging that you're missing. And, mm -hmm. you know, as we stated, you know, before, it's not a, um, it's not a checklist. This isn't mm -hmm. something that you arrive at. And I really want to also offer this up to other coaches who are coaching. You cannot follow other white coaches who are doing the work and think that somehow it's going to trickle back down to you or to other coaches, um, you know, my fellow people of color um, coaches without really understanding family, you know, not just family, your own family history, but American history. Because yes, it could be the instinct to say, well, my family came here with, without X, you know, mm -hmm. fill in the blank. And, you know, we have been okay. But when we look at concentrated black communities that attempted to do the same thing, like we have, you know, where I live, we have a Mexican town, we have a Greek town. And that's because the immigrants came together and settled in these particular places uh, uh, in, in my city where, where I'm from, Detroit. But that's true of many uh, major cities that there are these ethnic parts of town, but every time black people try to do it, they burned it down. Mm. 
So of course I say none of this for pity and I say none of this, but I just really want people to acknowledge um, the humanity. Yeah. And what do you want to tell your children? I mean, I think that's, I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, what's the conversation you want to have with your grandchildren about this moment in history? Like here yeah. it is, you know, as you were stating with your colleague that you worked with, that was telling you about segregation. We are in essence, the practices are a little different, but they're still there. Discrimination with home buying, you yeah. know, people looking at, you know, a uh, credit score. Um, even when it comes to uh, predominantly white universities being like the first person, oh, you got here on scholarship. I mean, hearing that, you know, over and over, or no, you got here because of affirmative action. So it's right. still challenging your place that you've earned, your seat at the table that you've earned. You know, we got to change who's sitting at the table. And my thing is, I've always decided that I'm, I'm going to create a new table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, come sit, you can come sit Let's make our own table <laughs> over table. here. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's so important too, because most of our listeners are very well educated, right? Like you can't listen to me speak without understanding quite a bit. And I think um, what you're saying here is go to the history, uh, the African-American history that was not given to you in school, right? Like you can literally go get a master's degree, not know what's going on. Um, It's very true. (laughs) Um, You can also, and then I was, I was vulnerably sharing with you ahead before this interview, right? Like I didn't realize how bad it was until George Floyd. I'm going to be very honest and vulnerable here because I, I should have known it could given my talks with my coworker, given the fact that I had had a black husband, right? Given the fact that my children are black and what we've already seen, like my daughter is three years old. Kids at her school call her brown and are like, what is that? Like talking about her skin. She has a really dark um, mole on her arm as well. And, you know, we've seen it and she's three, okay? (laughs) She was three when that kind of stuff started happening. So um, in the grocery store, especially down in Texas, when we lived down there, now we live in New York. So it's a little bit more, what I'm saying anyway, is it's more over in the South, but it still happens in the North. It's just very covert. And Mm -hmm. the, and the problem with that one, if you're an immigrant, you might not understand it because- that's kind of what happens to me sometimes. It kind of goes over my head. Um, and and then when when you do see it, you're like, you can't really, what are you going to say? Because it wasn't like a blatant thing, right? Like in the South, if it's a blatant thing, you can be like, dude, that's racist. Like, don't say that, right? Um, when it's more covert, you look like you're attacking someone <laughs> when you are um, trying to stand up for yourselves, trying to stand up for your family member. So it's really, it, it's different, I will mm-hmm. say. It's just different depending on where you may live. Yeah. 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 And the and, level of honesty in the conversations too. I mean, yes. in the space that I work in, um, you know, many empathic individuals identify um, with, um, you know, either being, you know, Christian or, you know, traditional religion or, you know, in the spiritual space. And I think it's even more detrimental than that space because it moves into, it, it spiritually bypasses. Right. So we go to, we're all God's children. And then we go to, you know, love and light. So there's never a pause to really look at the humanity. And that is very detrimental. It's very hurtful. And it doesn't allow um, for honest 
conversation if we're going to bypass and right. not, you know, first getting the, the, the express lane <laughs> or the local lane. Like we, we can't just go, you know, shoot to, you know, the love and light piece and we're all, yes, we know that. But if that is a virtue that you want to uphold, I saw this really great post. Um, they said that uh, when Jesus lost one sheep, he went after like, although you have 99, he still went after the one. And so right now the black, we're the one. We're so the yes, one. all yeah, yeah. lives the black people are, are the, the ones. One. And so it's incumbent upon us educated. If you, you know, you say that you're highly educated, but that also has to do with your heart education. And for those who identify as spiritual, justice is very much a spiritual practice. And when we look at the leaders who have led us thus far, we look at MLK, we look at Mohandas Gandhi, we look at Mother Teresa. Um, when we look at uh, His Holiness, the Dalai, like they're all standing in these places of acknowledging discrimination there they have acknowledged and their spiritual governance has been what their constitution is to like lead us to the change that we're in so it has been very much justice social justice work is very much a spiritual practice yeah and i think i think this brings up an important piece which is like when people say like i don't see color that's actually not the answer okay that does and that's so, not true and it's not true right you <laughs> wear mismatched socks like you you wouldn't have any kind of color coordination at all i think what they mean to say perhaps is it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter to but them. you do yeah. see it <laughs> but you do see it and i think i think it, it goes to another level which is like i see you for your color and you're beautiful the way that you are right i think like that's what we're going for here, right? It's not a fact of like, well, let me just <laughs> ignore that you exist or anything like that, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think that that's a, an important piece. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, I, I posted on my page, I will just be honest, I was sorely disappointed with some of the responses from coaches, even that I was working with. Um, in this. I can't say my response is perfect. I can't say my response was eloquent or good. I was, you know, like, just like everybody else, right? Like, a little bit afraid, probably even and I, I even say like, venture to say that many people of color, including blacks may have been afraid of what do I say? Because you have people who may be both in your audience, right? And unless your ideal client is only African-American, you may have both. And so for me, it, it became one, when it happened, I had an emotional breakdown. And then to, like when I saw the video, because I saw the video, uh, and then my son asked me the next morning. And so my, my children are biracial. Mm -hmm. My son asked me the next morning, he's six, he goes, um, well, so if a police officer, uh, is trying to arrest you, you have to put your hands up. Otherwise they'll kill you. I don't know how the fuck he knew that mm -hmm. <laughs> I swear on my own podcast like that, but <laughs> they know the children know what's going on. Okay. I did not tell him he did not watch the news. I don't know if it, he's very intuitive. So he could have just intuitionally known yeah. who knows how he knew. But the, yeah. the, when those words come out of your child who is six and biracial, and you know that that could mean 
that was his life it touches you in a way i cannot so if i like my one word i have for any mother listening to this or any parent listening to this that may not be your child your child may not be black but i want you to imagine having a black child and having that fear because that is how we can start to make progress moving forward we cannot ignore i mean that 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 is happening in the world and that that could be your child if it just happened to be right like and i think and you that have it, to have a hand in preventing that i mean yeah, all of exactly. us have a hand in really you know shifting our culture all of us do mm-hmm. and it's incumbent to all of us to do it but the heavy lifting in this and at this juncture is really going to be white people doing doing their work and mm-hmm. I remember Lima Bewe from Liberia. Um, there's a documentary called Pray the Devil Back to Hell. And she knighted Christian and Muslim women because she was tired of the genocide that she was, you know, seeing mm-hmm. of young people just, just dying and just the, the, the fight, the infighting in her country. And so she decided to do something. So I would say that clearly as women, we're more formidable and powerful. I mean, we say that, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to our businesses, yes, I'm powerful and I'm knowledgeable. And, you know, we, we do the mindset work. We, we do the things that we need to do. We have our affirmation. Well, now let's affirm that Black Lives Matter. Let's affirm the change that is not just we want to see. It's the change that's needed. Yeah. And, and I think it goes deeper too. Like as impactor of an entrepreneur, how can we help people? That's right. If, if the society is oppressing them so much, right? Like it is in the best interest of every one of your clients, um, no matter their race, if we, for us to like really stand united. And we have, like you're saying, the opportunity is now. The opportunity is now to sh- like show up and create a different future for our children. It's gotta be. And we can't just write a check you know, yes. to it and oh think that's, that's absolved <laughs> me. Like I've given to Black Lives Matter, but you know, like you say, you're, you're in New York and you know, I'm in Detroit. So we know where the neighborhoods are. And in fact, yeah. I interviewed um, a panel of black men this, this weekend past. I can send links to it so you guys can see it. And so one of the men, I, he's from New York originally. And so the thing was more neighborhoods. Like you have to be careful mm-hmm. what neighborhood you're walking in as a black man. Yeah. It could be detrimental for you. So yeah. let's think about the school systems. Let's think about what we can really intentionally give where, you know, where can you really donate your time, mm-hmm. you know, in, in working. But I would say before you even enter into um, a physical activity, do your research because yes, yes, learning is not pretty. It's not pretty. And yes, will you screw it up? Yes, you will. Yep. I've already um, done that. <laughs> Just but, watch my post guys. Yes. <laughs> Fuck it up all the way. Here's the thing. We can't, have another life we cannot lose another life because you are afraid of sounding perfect and you are waiting to be eloquent we mm-hmm. cannot wait yeah uh i also wanted to um ask you about so i, I want to say one thing about the line item i have seen that as the response from coaches mm-hmm. oh and we always donate x amount and so this time we're gonna donate more and yet every person on their team is a white beautiful woman who you think it might be flirting with them. <laughs> You're like, what is going on here? You know? Um, and you can't, that is not an appropriate response in my opinion. 
um, it, it is not a line item. No, it's not. We need amplification. We need unity. Mm-hmm. We need solidarity. You need to really have women of color that you're often um, learning from. So when yeah. you hire your next coach, it needs to be a woman of color and not in a placation sort of way. There are so fantastic. many fantastic, yeah. you know, coaches of color out here. And, you know, Trudy LeBron is doing the work. Uh, uh, Louisa uh, Duran, who's doing diversity inclusion work. Uh, Rachel Rogers. I mean, there's so many coaches out here to help you um, to get it right. But when you're, yes, when you're looking to level up your, your business, and even from a PR standpoint, seek out um, agencies so that your content and the continents of your heart are congruent. Mm-hmm. Because we can read right through like, okay, this is just a play, a placation. And right. we've seen PR go horribly wrong when mm-hmm. you don't do it correctly. I think H&M has had its, uh, had been called to the carpet with some yeah. of its imaging yeah, so we've seen, yeah, the, yeah that, that campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but that's what happens when you don't have diverse leadership. And I would just say, and I'm not saying that it's correct, but this is dragging season. You don't want to get dragged um, right now. And again, like, I'm not saying that, that it's correct, but people will call you out. And again, this is something that you just have to sit with your own soul and meditate on. Mm-hmm. What kind of coach do you really want to be? When I love that, you know, we're talking about impact entrepreneurs. And so, yes, there's the money piece of it. Absolutely. But then there's also that humanity piece of it too. Mm -hmm. And that means all humanity and having uncomfortable conversations. Yes. Go right through those. Go right to it. If it's uncomfortable, (laughs) that's a good thing. That's good. (laughs) That's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I want to recap. So one, you have been so helpful for me in giving a lot of resource about history. So that's for me after our conversation is like my number one is going to go all the things you've said. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. okay. So one is the history piece for me. I want to add if you, even if you are more self-identify as like, for me, I was like, I'm Venezuelan, you know? So I was more self-identifying as Venezuelan than, um, than white or black. And so, uh, I was like, well, I don't know if this applies to me too much. Even if you're in that space, you got to go read this white fragility book. Okay. And I've actually even had, um, one of my clients who's black is going to go read it with me <laughs> too. But anyways, black fragility or white fragility, white fragility. Sorry, white fragility. Um, that book is eye opening and it talks about all of the little nuanced ways uh, in which racism happens and shows up in that covert stuff I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, uh, connect with and surround yourself with people of color look at how your brand is representing right if you're saying that you help people is that really represented right like that the, the the various shades and colors and, and backgrounds are represented right. anything else you want to leave listeners with i am mindful of time i know we're going a little over here. yeah yeah so the, the the last piece that i i want to to leave with people is this you know we can say what we value but also where we spend our dollars, that's where your true, what you truly value shows up. So look at your, 
monthly statement and see truly where your money is going. Mm -hmm. And is it going to businesses of color? Is it going to not just the donation that you make for Black Lives Matter, but Black-owned bookstores or minority-owned bookstores, especially for those of us who have children? Look at the dolls that your daughter, you know, do they all look like her? Um, So I just want to add in just that mindfulness piece of just kind of look around what you value, books in your home, your friends list, and then come up with the statement. Can you securely say that? Yeah, I'm a person that values diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for being so open and honest. And thank you for being a listener too. Yeah, I love what you, I mean, you have helped me more than you know, um, with being more bold and courageous in in my own business and asking for the high ticket (laughs) (laughs) without being shameful. So I really do um, appreciate you. And just so you know, I mean, I do put a portion of my, my earnings as a coach to the power of girlhood, but I put blood, sweat and tears um, into that organization too. So it's not just the money, it's the consistently showing mm-hmm. up and helping families. Uh, we've sponsored um, Christmas for families, you know, over the years. So we really, you know, a small organization, but we do mighty work and I'm really proud of that. So yeah. know, that's just something that's very important to really make part of your, your business strategy, but also your business plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Get daily mindset strategy and support to grow your business for free. Join our community, the Coaching for Impact community on Facebook. Just go to impactdrivenentrepreneur.com/community to join.